I remember uh, different times in my life when uh, when I was <clears throat> wondering, I uh, so deeply wanted to know what God's will was for my life. Different times in our life when that may be more common than others. Um, what's God's will for for who I should marry or what's God's will for what uh, college I should go to or what's God's will for what job I should take or what is God's will for what house I should buy or or is it God's will that uh, that I should get connected in a community group at Oak Grove Church or well I mean we know the answer to that one but um, you know we say like uh, at the end of the time we're like okay I got it Lord thanks for being really clear we wish that the Lord would just write it out for us right we wish that the Lord would just drop that letter in the mail. You could go check the God's will mailbox and see what the answer was going to be. And, um, and that, that, that would, uh, that, that would solve the deal or answer the question for us. And God just often does not work that way, uh, in our lives. I mean, at times he leads us, but what we know is that all of God's moral will is revealed for us in the scripture. And there's a whole lot of freedom in our decision making. Um, and sometimes, we can get caught up on in kind of like in angst over things. We don't necessarily need to. Now, it doesn't mean don't be wise in it. But there are wisdom principles in the Bible that guide us through all sorts of those things. But today, today, we get to read one of these passages that says, this is God's will for you. So if you've ever, ever wanted to know exactly what God's will is, uh, lean in today. Open your Bible or your Bible app to First Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, we'll read verses 1 through 8, but we're focusing, last week we focused on 1 and 2 of this chapter. This week we will focus on verses 3 through 8. And uh, this is the first of three significant, three or four significant moral or ethical uh, teachings that Paul gives to this uh, Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 4, I'll begin reading in verses 1 and 2. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus... That as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know the, what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Here it is. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness, in honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and we solemnly, solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Sexual holiness is God's representatives. We've talked about that idea frequently, that we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal to the world through his People And as those who walk around bearing the name little Christ or Christ follower or follower of Jesus or Christian, we are to pursue sexual holiness in every area of our life. Often when we think uh, about uh, areas uh, like this, we measure success in terms of not transgressing too far, not going 
too far. As long as I don't cross this line, then I, then I haven't sinned yet, or it hasn't been that bad of a sin. I'm all good. But the problem is when it comes to sexual ethics, but, but other, other topics as well, but especially sexual ethics, the, the bar is far higher. Maybe better said, far deeper internally than we often imagine it to be. This, this passage, this challenge, this warning, this encouragement, it really runs uh, far deeper for every one of us. This affects you if you're single. This affects you if you've been married for a few years. This affects you if, if you've been married for many years. <clears throat> this affects you, as I said earlier this morning, if you're aged to near perfection, as a friend recently said. It impacts you if you have eyes. It impacts you if you have emotions. If you get all the feels when someone brushes up against you and you make skin, skin contact with somebody that uh, isn't your spouse, it affects you. Catches you off guard, maybe. Or when you look at someone intently in the eyes, prolonged eye contact, this affects you. You're impacted if you find yourself attracted to someone of the opposite sex. You're impacted if you find some find yourself attracted to someone of the same sex. If you watch TV, if you watch movies, if you watch commercials, this impacts, impacts you if you play video games. This impacts you if you if you read magazines, if you read graphic novels. This impacts you if you read romance novels. I think we're safe to say that everyone in this room has something to hear from what God has to say this morning about his goal, his will for our lives. There's no one here that's not affected by these words to the Lord's people. The Thessalonian church, they didn't have the internet. But I will tell you, we're not much removed than what they lived in. They lived in a very sexualized culture. The Greek Aphrodite was celebrated as, as such that it was almost like a, it was a religion to perform sexual acts. The Greek goddess of love and beauty. She was one of the most popular deities in the Thessalonian Greek culture. She was the symbol for a sexual license and for uh, the patroness of prostitutes. Men could go to the pagan temples and they could commit immorality with a priestess. And it would be an act of religious devotion, I mean, devotion in their culture. And so there are a variety of forms of extramarital, extramarital, extramarital sex that were tolerated and that were even encouraged. One professor and commentator, F.F. Bruce, writes, he says, a man might have a mistress who could provide for him also an intellectual companionship. The institution of slavery made it easy for him to have a concubine. While the casual gratification was readily available from a harlot. The function of his wife was just to manage his household and be the mother of his legitimate children and heirs. Paul's commands for sexual holiness as God's representative are countercultural both to the Thessalonian church and in our day. There's nothing new under the sun, just new expressions for the way people carry out their idolatry, for the way people carry out their evil. 
And our main point today is you're going to see this main point on the screen several times. And, and later on, you'll see it, different parts of it highlighted as we sort of work through the message. But God's will is for his people to be sexually pure by knowing God more with the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to see in here that uh, that uh, it's focusing on what God's goal for us, God's will is for us, is to be sexually pure. We're going to see the, the motivation for it by knowing God or because you know God, because you have God and because you have the Holy Spirit. How? With the Holy Spirit's power. You're able. We're able to live sexually pure, unstained, undefiled. Now, before we dive in, I want to ask you these questions. We've asked them before, but Four questions that we often ask when we ask, when we think of things like, is the Bible enough for us in approaching these kinds of issues? Is the Bible enough? Do you believe that the Bible is God's word? I think almost everybody, I think everybody in here would raise your hand and say, yep, I do. Amen. You keep believing it. You keep believing it. You ready for the next question? Do you believe the Bible is true in all that it intends to say? Amen. Okay. Come on, adults. I mean, I think these young men have thrown down the gauntlet for you. Do you believe the Bible is true and all that it intends to say? Thank you. There we go. Are you willing to submit all your thoughts and opinions on every subject to what the Bible says? Amen. A little hesitation, but but amen. Are you willing to do what the Bible says, even if you don't want to? Mm. Thank you. That's a yes. Yes. It's not a yes that says, no, I don't agree, but I have to say it. It's a yes that knows I struggle with it. I I think that's what we're saying, right? Oh, yes. I want to. Most of the time, I want to strive to do that. God's will for you could not be more clear here. And we're given the motivation and the means for how we're to do that. God's will is for his people to be sexually pure. This is what he says in verse three and four. It is the will of God. uh, This is the will of God, your sanctification, right? That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor, in holiness and in honor. We, we sang this morning, uh, nothing compares to the beauty of the Lord. When you think about sexuality, you, th- you need to think about the beauty of what God calls beautiful. If God appoints something as beautiful and good, it's beautiful and good. And if he doesn't, it's not. And we say, you know what? I want to live for the beauty of the Lord. I want to think about what God counts to be beautiful. I want to pursue conversation that God would count to be 
pleasing, that the motives of my heart would be pure, that I would be honoring the Lord in the way that I live my life. This word sanctification is is riddled with meaning, loaded with meaning. But the Bible speaks about sanctification in three primary ways. There's positional sanctification in the sense that uh, or what we often call justification. I mean, very much the same thing when a believer commits his or her life to Christ, when they are saved and they make a profession of faith that is true and legitimate, they are set apart in Christ. Progressive sanctification is is the process by which we become more and more holy. And so in a sense, we are sanctified or justified in Christ. But our progressive sanctification is sort of like saying, I'm going to practice my position in Christ. Right. You've heard me mention the doctrine of our union with Christ. Well, when we are growing in our 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 uh, progressive sanctification, we're progressively taking steps that uh, steps of active decision making and and putting off and being renewed in the spirit of our minds and putting on the spirit, putting off the old self, being renewed in the spirit of our mind, putting on the new self. Incidentally, that's what Johnny's preaching on this morning, Ephesians four seventeen to twenty four, uh, over at Parker's Grove. Uh, but but this is the process of being separated from sin and the world system and set apart to God's holiness, and that happens not by just the declaration but by controlling our will as the Holy Spirit enables us to. The more we do that, the more sanctified we become, the more set apart we become. But as you learn from those who've walked with God for any time, and I heard, uh, you know, so I remember being in college and hearing a professor say, you know, the holier I get, and he wasn't being arrogant, he wasn't being proud, but he said, the holier I get, the more unholy I realize that I am. Isn't that true? We grow in holiness. It's not arrogant to say that yesterday you were in third grade spiritually and today you're in fourth grade spiritually. You say it with the, what's the phrase we said last week? By God's grace. But by God's grace doesn't mean that we don't employ any effort. It means God has given the Holy Spirit, which is a gift of his magnanimous grace and mercy to us. And so we have the power of the Holy Spirit to walk with us, to convict us, when we sin, to convict us before we sin, before sin gives birth to death. To be holy, set apart from the word, from the world and set apart to the Lord God. So this is this the word holiness and sanctification. You see sanctification twice and holiness twice. And uh, and one is referring to that positional sanctification, uh, your holiness The others are referring to this idea of progressively being set apart unto the Lord. Each of you is to know how to control his or her own body in holiness and honor. In holiness and honor. It's said in verse 7 similarly. We're not to use our, our bodies for impurity because he has called us in holiness. One day we will achieve the third kind of sanctification, which would be perfect sanctification or glorification. We'll be in glory and we will not wrestle with this body of death. We won't be tempted with the trappings of our sinful mind. We won't echo what Paul says in Romans 7 over and over again when he says, you know, it's the evil that I don't want to do that I find myself doing and the good things that I want to do, the godly things that I want to be doing, I find myself not doing. 
Sanctification is accomplished by abstaining. That means avoiding sexual activity or thought that's not honoring to God or his people. I just think of that song. I will declare the beauty of the Lord. Would you walk around with the thoughts that are in your mind declaring the beauty of the Lord? You cannot do both. And so often our temptation is just to stop. Stop thinking this way. Stop having these thoughts. No, start declaring who God is. And I don't mean in some mystical way. I just mean rehearse the Bible to your own soul. Preach to yourself. Preach to yourself. You say, well, I don't have it all. I mean, everybody's got the, can very easily have the Bible right with you all the time in your pocket on your phone. It has never been easier. You don't have to have it memorized in order to rehearse it to yourself. That's not to say you shouldn't aim to memorize the word. But there's nothing wrong with pulling out a phone and reading a Bible verse. You say, I need to fix my thoughts on the Lord because I am focused on impurity. But our temptation is to avoid God when that happens because we feel guilty because we've sinned. Well, rather than just trying to uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, remind yourself of how good you think you really are in your own self before you go back to the Lord. Just call out to the Lord and say, Lord, I've sinned. I did it. I sinned again. I'm so sorry. Open up your word. Run to your father. Remember, he's your father. He is the judge, but he is your father in heaven. There should be a clear and a decisive break. I'm going to read this verse because it's up on the screen. I think it's a little further down, but that's okay. Um, For from within, Jesus takes it straight to the heart. Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within and they defile a person. Sexual immorality or or the word porneia is is anything outside of healthy, Christ-honoring, monogamous sex to the person of the opposite sex, monogamous, that you are married to. Anything outside of healthy, Christ-honoring sex to the person of the opposite sex that you are married to. Our culture wants to change the definition of marriage. It doesn't change God's definition of marriage. But, friends, listen. We need to be proclaiming the truth, but our main, our main message is to encourage believers to live holy lives. Our main message is not to tell the world to start living like God wants them to. They don't know God. We should not be surprised. That doesn't mean we should agree with it. It doesn't mean it gets a pass. But let's focus on our own holy living. First and foremost. And yes, convey all of the truth of God's word to everyone who will hear. But not to make unbelievers live like believers, but to help unbelievers see that there's a holy God who calls the way that they're living and the attitude of their heart sinful and that he has sent his son as a redeemer to save them from the penalty, the power and the presence of sin in their lives. 
That's the message we want them to hear first, not clean up your act. Be like us. No, we have enough of we have enough internal house cleaning that we need to do as a church. As a pastor. As members of the church. Let's focus on our internal housekeeping. Pursuing holiness. Why? For the beauty of the Lord. Out of love for the Lord. We need to control your thought life. How are you, you going to do this? How are you going to control sexual purity? Well, with the power of the Holy Spirit, you battle for it. Battle for it. I had a professor recently said, I'm tired of people telling me about they're, they're struggling with sin. Pray for me. I'm really struggling. He said, you remember the sin from, uh, you remember this, the scene from, uh, Saving Private Ryan. I can't play it for you here. But the scene from Saving Private Ryan, and he's in a stairwell, and he is just battling out. Shells are flying everywhere. He is battling the enemy. And he says, unless you're battling sin like that, don't come in here week after week after week after week and tell me you're, you're battling sin or you're struggling with sin. Are you? Or do we come together so that we can make ourselves feel better that we're admitting that we're sinning and we're choosing not to do anything about it week after week after week? Battle your sin. John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. You can't look at a sensuous movie or a TV show or online content and be morally pure. Well, it doesn't affect me. That's just a lie. You can't play certain video games. Oh, I know. Stepping on toes right now. You can't play certain video games because the graphics are inappropriate. They're sensuous. Characters and certain outfits with a gun strapped. Like, nobody dresses like that for war. Come on. (laughs) You can't look at certain magazines graphic novels, and be morally pure. Can't do it. There are books you shouldn't read. Pastor Matt, there's no pictures in them. Certain romance novels that place idealized relationships and characters that never look like anything like what your spouse is going to look like. Why? Because it's not real. It's not human. Described in picturesque terminology, eloquent, expressive characteristics. Listen, we, we don't walk around in a bubble. We're not to live in a bubble, right? We live in the culture. You walk around, you see what you see, but you don't have to see it again. You don't have to look twice. And here I just want to introduce the principle of awkward accountability. What do I mean by awkward accountability? The question is, do you want to look like you have it under control or do you want to be holy? Husbands, ask your wife to help you. 
My wife and I have had uncomfortable conversations about my own purity in our 18 years of marriage. My wife actively has the remote when we watch TV or a movie. I've asked her before, if we're walking somewhere and you see me, just remind me. You don't need to throw something at me. Ladies, easy now. You know what will help your husband more than feeling the shame of like, I saw you look at her again. Hey, babe, I love you. You know, he loves you too. It's likely that he doesn't want to battle with it either. A partnership like marriage says, I want to help you follow Jesus. It's a different topic, but there are times I've asked my wife. I'm just going to throw out all our stuff, okay? So if I know about it ahead of time, I ask permission. Not today. At times I see her struggling in different areas of her life, and I say, you know, babe, I just wonder if you ought to take some time off of social media for a bit. Look at everybody's perfect Instagram photos or perfect social media stuff, and our life's not that perfect. Neither is theirs, right? Nobody posts a picture unless it's for America's Funniest Videos or a video when, when, when the oven's on fire, when the house looks like garbage. We don't post those photos. In fact, there are times when we have people over when we intentionally don't try to make the house look all spick and span. I mean, I'm not going to lie. There's the back room and the door's always closed where we just kind of like, we got a half hour, right? And you're like throwing things in, you know, it takes an hour and a half to clean up after somebody lives. I mean, leaves if they live. <laughs> I mean, not, not our, I, that's what I hear people say. Help each other. Follow Christ. Men, I want to challenge you. If you wrestle, see, there it is. I'm using it. Wrestle, battle, struggle with insecurity to the point that you get angry at your wife when she tries to help you. You're proud and you're arrogant and you need to repent because God loves you and he purchased your salvation with his life. And maybe she's not saying it in the right way, but don't demand something of her that you're not doing of yourself. Do you say everything right to her every single time? I don't think so. So when she tries to help you, thank her. Give her a kiss and love on her. Let her know that you appreciate the fact that you're in this battle together. Because it's a battle as long as we're battling. Don't throw up the white flag. Oh, I've already sinned here. Let's just do it again. No big deal. No, there's no place for that in the household of God. Romans 13, 14, Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, putting off the flesh, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, making no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. God's message to you and to me is that it is God's will for his people to be sexually pure. But what's the motivation? Knowing him more and more as you strive to please him. That's what we looked at last week. He's saying, as you are doing, continue doing so more and more. 
Brothers and sisters in this room, as you are striving to please God, continue doing so even more and more. Paul adds the the, the contrast here, but not, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. In other words, he's saying, you know God. You know what he's done for you. You, you know how to live in the way that he's called you to. So you, you ought to control your own, own body in holiness and honor. I mean, you, ought to, you ought to exhibit self-control or really spirit control over your passionate lusts. The word lust is like an, it just means an impassioned desire. It's not only sexual, but it is certainly sexual. So you control these things by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know God personally. Why would you act like someone who doesn't? There ought to be a marked difference between you and your neighbor who doesn't know Christ. Because you've been redeemed. Because you've been given the Spirit of God who is a a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. And also, he says in verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in these things it doesn't hurt anybody else it's just me nobody else sees it it's another lie from the pit of hell it's another lie from the enemy who wants to see you lonely broken destroyed rocking and sucking your thumb in the corner and then throwing something at you or pointing your finger at you and mocking you when you're alone because that's what the tempter and the deceiver does He tries to, he puts things in your pathway to make you trip and to fall. And then he calls you an idiot when you fall. Like, well, you put it there. Verse six says, when you transgress, literally, it's, it's the idea for the word greed. When you take advantage of another person out of your own greed, you transgress your brother. It's not possible to sin sexually in a way that only affects yourself. So rather than doing wrong to others, rather than allowing your greed to be expressed toward another individual, serve them. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So, So rather than being greedy toward someone, or rather being greedy in your heart rather than coveting in your heart, even or especially when it's imaginary. Rather than that, let God's word dwell in you richly. And then here's how you apply that to another person. Teaching and admonishing one another. Call a brother, call a sister. Get someone on the phone, text someone, get the ball moving down the field for your own holiness. You have the tools available to you. And if the spirit is living in you, you will not be joyful. You'll find yourself angry. You'll find yourself worried. You'll find yourself anxious. You'll find yourself depressed. But when you begin to walk in holiness, God will begin to restore your joy. It's not instantaneous, but a little at a time. The second motivation he gives us is that God will judge you. The Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand, and we won't warn you solemnly now. 
Verse 8, 8 tells us that if you disregard this, you don't disregard man, but God. In other words, I mean, it's no skin off my back because you're not disregarding me. You're not ignoring me. I'm giving you God's word. So this is what God says to do. This is how God says to live. It reminds me of Malachi 2, 13 to 16. He says, and the second thing you do now, he's talking about the priests who are whining about why life is so hard. And he says, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering and he accepts it from your hand. But but you say, why does he not? And here's the answer, because the Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Didn't he make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit. Let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who doesn't love his wife but divorces her says to the, says, uh, the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence says the Lord God of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So we've seen what God has called us to do. We've seen the motivation, the wonderful motivation for why God calls us to do it. How do we do it? By walking in the spirit's power, by walking with the spirit. Verse seven, God has not called you for impurity, but in Holiness in verse 80 says, God gives the Holy Spirit to you. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. God gives and keeps giving. The, the impact of the Spirit being given to us, the impact of the Spirit of God coming to indwell every person who names the name of Jesus, who is a Christian, who is redeemed, you have been changed by God. You can quench the Spirit. You can grieve the spirit. But if you are a believer, you cannot get rid of the spirit. It's different in the Old Testament when David prays, uh, restore to me the joy of your of your salvation. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. In the Old Testament, it was different than in the New Testament when the Holy Spirit comes in Pentecost and is with every believer from the time they are genuinely a believer until the time, well, really for eternity as we go into glory. Galatians 5 says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now, listen, sometimes we come to a point and we say, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. But we're not stopping and putting our face in the word of God. Oh, pastor, it can't be as simple as reading the Bible and praying. Take two pills and call me in the morning. I mean, I didn't mean Take two scriptures and call me in the morning. Let, that means uh, be letting the word of God dwell in you richly. That means do something to make it happen. Think on it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We love it for Awana. I have hit Psalm 119, 105. I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly that I might not sin against God. Why does that change from children's ministry to when we're adults? 
We're getting ready to start children's Sunday school and adult Sunday school again. Why is there a greater focus on children memorizing the word, hiding God's word in their heart than there is for us as adults? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. I often will tell people I'm less concerned about whether you memorize it, but that you are saturating your mind with God's word. So write it on a three by five card. Write it once every day. Writing it is proven. Reading it, writing it, hearing it is proven to help you remember things better. Do you want to know it? Well, yeah, I'm just not very good at memorizing. I mean, you know the date when hunting season starts. You know the statistics for your favorite player. I have found most of the time when people say I'm not good at memorizing, they have not tried very much. Now, people memorize in different skill levels. I understand that. It's fine. That's why I said I'm less concerned about the actual act of memorizing and more about the effort being applied. If you read a scripture verse that you have written out 10, 20, 30 times a day, 30 times, like I'm stabbing you with something. I hope to stab you with the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Over and over and over and over, 20, 30, 40, 50 times in a day. It takes 10 seconds to read some Bible verses. Multiply that. Do the math. It's less than the length of one TV show. One of the questions that I often ask people, people have asked me, if you knew God's will, I remember in college, I was talking to a pastor, pastor, brother Rusty was his name. Rusty, I just wish I knew God's will. And I mean, he did not blink. And he said, well, if you did, would you obey it? I was like, oh, that's like not fair. I'm too young to be ready for that. If you knew God's will, would you obey it? You do. Do you believe the Bible is God's word? Do you believe the Bible is true and everything it intends to say? Is your intention to obey the Bible, to submit every thought, word, or action to the word of God? And will you do what the word of God says even when you don't want to? Listen, let's not, let's not try to pretend that we always want to be perfect and holy because we don't. That's why we have a redeemer to acknowledge our tendency towards sin, to confess it. The Bible tells us in, in Ephesians 4.30 that when, when we, uh, we sin knowingly, we, we grieve the Holy Spirit. But does this mean that we're going to be free from sin? Does this mean that we're going to be free from sexual sin? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I want to add one other quick note. If you're married, being married is not a license for sexual greediness. Marriage is the beautiful union, the consummation of believers coming together in Christ. I encourage you to think about your married sexual intimacy 
in a worshipful way. Now that's another sermon series, I realize. God has given each of us sexual desires that are good and to be fulfilled in the marriage bed. But there is a one-anothering, mutual one-anothering in sexual intimacy in a marriage that ought to express love, that ought to express grace. Do you withhold when you're mad? You turn what God intended to be as good and pleasurable and beautiful into a bargaining chip. That's not God's purpose. God's purpose in bringing you together is to express grace, which is undeserved kindness. How can you serve one another? We know that we all struggle with sin and, and even sexual sin. First John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But friends, be encouraged because when you read one verse further, it is equally true, equally powerful, and so much more wonderful. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Christ has the power not only to forgive your sin, but to actually cleanse your souls, to restore your spirits that, that your bodies might have lost, to, to restore what the, the, what the tempter, what the enemy has tried to take away. What has been turned into ashes, God, through the power, powerful working of the Holy Spirit, can turn it into beauty. For his glory, he can restore your marriage. He can restore what was broken. He can restore what was lost. And so this motivates us to, to put all of our energy and effort with great zeal into this holy battle for sexual purity. Remember the beginning of verse 1, he says, we ask and urge you. How? In the Lord. You're in the Lord. So put your all into it. Go after him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind. He'll work. He'll heal. You may have a difficult conversation that you need to have after a sermon like this, too. It's worth it. It's worth it. If you're here and somebody that you love comes to you to have a difficult conversation. Take your hurt to the Lord. It doesn't mean you have to hide it. But give it to the Lord and love your spouse. Remember, they're coming to you because they love you.